Now we come to the story. These are kind of little setups to help you understand what's going on. But chapter 27, verse 1, is where the story really begins to take its meat on. No pun intended. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he was almost blind, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau replied. Isaac said, Since I am so old, I could die at any time. Which is kind of ironic because he's not going to die for at least another 20 years. So he's going to probably feel like that for a long time. Therefore, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the open fields and hunt down some wild game for me. Then prepare for me some tasty food, the kind that I love, and bring it to me. Then I will eat it so that I may bless you before I die. Now, there's a lot going on in this story. First, who does he want to bless? Who is he supposed to bless according to God? Jacob, the younger, the, the older will serve the younger. Esau's the older, Jacob's the younger, so Jacob will serve, sorry, Esau will serve Jacob. So what is Isaac doing right now? He's disobeying the prophecy of God. Why? Because he likes food. He is allowing his lustful appetite to trump his theology and his obedience to God. Yours may not be your desire for food, but it might be something else. Money, acceptance, whatever. He is allowing his lustful appetite to trump his theology, and his obedience to God. And it's emphasized in the fact that he says, the narrator says, prepare for me some tasty food, the kind that I love. That love is a strong, passionate love in the Hebrew there. That his desire, desire, what James says, desire leads to sin, which leads to death. There's this way that seems right to a man, but leads to destruction and death. The heart is wicked above all things, Proverbs says. And so what we see is Jacob's desire becomes more important than his obedience to God. And not only that, it gets even worse. He's not only slighting God, he's slighting his other son. His favoritism is so deep that he doesn't invite Jacob to the blessing. When you see Jacob bless his sons, all of his sons will be there. All throughout the Bible, whenever, and even all other cultures, when we read other documents, the father would bring all of his sons before him, and he would bless them all. And the firstborn would get more of a blessing than everybody else, but then you would give other blessings. So I think I mentioned this. If you have like three sons... Typically, you would divide your inheritance into four slices. And one son would get two slices, and the other sons would get one. But you would bless them all at the same time, and you would give each son a blessing, even though one might give more. Notice what's happening here. Jacob is not invited to the blessing. And here's the other key. When you read forward, 
And Isaac ends up blessing Jacob, not knowing it. And Esau comes in. Esau wants a blessing. What does Isaac say? I don't have any blessing left for you. Which means this. He gave all the blessing to Esau. Technically Jacob, but he thought it was Esau. And by the fact that he later says, I have nothing left for you, Esau, means that he had no intention of giving Jacob anything. This is deep favoritism. He is trumping the theology and the command of God, and he's willing to literally cut Jacob out completely of any inheritance whatsoever because his appetite for lust and desire has become so blinding to him that he can't even see Jacob anymore. Which might be one of the reasons, too, why Jacob is so attached to his mother if he's been ignored by his father for so long. And maybe Isaac sees in Esau what he never could be, the aggressive, outgoing person who takes things. We don't know what the favoritism is. I mean, if we had more details, this would be a psychologist's dream. (laughs) But the reality is, this family is dysfunctional. Especially when you get into the fact that Rebecca is going to be willing to deceive her husband in order to cheat Esau out of the blessing. Now, she's a little bit more in line because she's at least obeying God, but the ends does not justify the means. And so we have a very dysfunctional family here. So Rebecca is listening. She's listening to everything. And you almost see the sense of where did Jacob get this idea of thinking ahead and plotting everything out from his mom? Because she's already ready to go. She has a plan in place. It's not like, oh, crap, it happened. What do I do? What do I do? I know here. No, she's like, boom, 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 boom. And you notice that she immediately brings Jacob in, and he doesn't get any words in. She says, come in here. You're going to get the blessing. You're going to get a goat. Bring it into me. I will prepare it the way that he likes it, and I will cut the goat up, and I will take the hair. And she is boom, 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 boom. And Jacob's just like, ah. And notice that she doesn't say, go get a goat and prepare it the way that your dad, we know he can make good stew. Esau was attracted to his stew. So does she not trust him? Will he not do it fast enough? Is she afraid that he'll screw it up? But she takes charge, and she does everything. It's her idea. It's her plan. It's her cooking the meal. It's her making the way that she wants it. And all she does is, you go in there. Get the goat, and I'll push you in. And there's a sense that she, the Rebecca who is very aggressive herself, which might explain to you why Isaac is so passive. Okay, Is he passive because she's so dominant, or did it just happen to work out that way? And so the reality is it's her plan. And notice that when Jacob actually talks, he only gets a few words in, and he objects. But notice that he does not object on ethical grounds, that this is wrong, that we're deceiving. He objects on the ground that he might get caught and he would be cursed. And he doesn't want to be cursed. And so his objection is like Cain. I don't want to be punished. Not that this is wrong. And so she, but knows how she comes back and says, don't worry, if your father curses you, I will take the curse upon myself. Now this is empty. What in the world makes her think that in some kind of metaphysical way she can transfer a curse to herself? 
or take the blame. And here's what you probably should be thinking. If he blesses Jacob thinking it's Esau, and he tells Esau that I can't transfer the blessing from Jacob to you, then that makes you lead to the logical conclusion they can't transfer a curse from Jacob to Rebekah either. And Jacob's got to know this. And so this is kind of an empty comfort because this isn't going to be able to be transferred at all. Now, notice his objection to is the hairiness. And she's got a plan for that too. We're going to take the goat skin, we're going to wrap it around your arms, and that's the way you go in and deceive them. So, like I said, really think about this. You've got one father who's willing to cheat out his son of his future inheritance for the sake of food. You've got the mother who says, come over here, son. We're going to deceive your father and my other son to cheat him out of his future. That's not a good family. That's not a good family. So verse 14. So he went and he got the goats and he brought them into his mother. And she prepared for some tasty food. Notice that that repetition over and over again. It's like the narrator's driving home what's really guiding Isaac here. What's really, truly guiding him. And once again, before you judge him as weird, we've all got our tasty meat. And he waited just the way the father loved him. Verse 15, Then Rebekah took her older son Esau's best clothes, which she had with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And then she handed the tasty food and the bread and she had made to, made to her, husband, her son Jacob. So notice she's doing all the acting, all the verbing. And so she's got everything. The, the clothes, the smell of Esau in the clothes, the feel of Esau. The only thing that she can't deal with is the voice. And it's almost one detail that she forgot to tell him, don't talk too much. Okay? So he went to his father, verse 18, and said, My father, Isaac replied, here I am. Which are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat some of my wild game so that you can bless me. Now notice how much he's talking. The fact that Isaac immediately senses, which son are you, means that he immediately begins to suspect something. And so Jacob starts talking, like he's trying to oversell it. I'm your son, the one that you commanded to go out and get food. I got food because I'm the hunter, and I've come back with it, and I prepared just the way. It's like, whoa, 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 you're talking way too much. He's really trying to oversell it. And so, but Isaac asked his son, how in the world did you find it so quickly, my son? Because Yahweh, or God, brought it to me, he replied. Really? Okay, that's kind of, that's overly spiritual for you, Jacob. That's overly spiritual for Esau. When we learn more and more about Esau, you're going to get the impression that he didn't pay attention in Sunday school class. So it's not probably the typical comment that somebody like that is going to make. So he's really overselling this too much, trying to convince them. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you, my son, and know for certain if it is you. Really are my son Esau. Because he says, basically, the voice. So Jacob went over to Isaac and felt him and said, the voice is Jacob, but the hands are Esau's. That Just like I said earlier, like when he touches the goat hair, he's like, yep, that's my boy. 
But notice that he gets that there's a disconnection. My ear hears one thing, but my hands feel something else. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So Isaac blessed Jacob, and then he asked him, Then he asked, Are you really my son Esau? The doubt is really there. I am, Jacob replied. Now this is interesting. Isaac speaks about eight times, and Jacob speaks about four times before we get to verse 24. But then when we get to verse 24, Isaac only speaks one time, and it's one word, I am. The minute his father says the voice is Jacob, then Isaac becomes, I'm sorry, Jacob just shuts his mouth up, and he's learned. And all he says is, I am. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's just am. And the idea is he's just trying to keep it now very tight-lipped, because he's going into nervous mode that this isn't going to work out. Isaac said, Bring me some of the wild game for me to eat, my son. Then I will bless you. So Jacob brought it to him, and he ate it. He also brought him wine, and Isaac drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come here and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the scent of his clothing, he blessed him. That seems to be the clinching decision. That once he leans in and he smells and feels, the two senses trump the one of it sounds like Esau or Jacob. And so he becomes convinced. And so what that says to you is that Rachel, Rebecca really knows her husband. She thought of every single detail to convince her husband which once again means that she's been thinking for a long time about deceiving her husband, which means that she has seen something in Isaac that she's begun to figure out, Isaac is not going to obey the prophecy. Isaac is not going to. She has seen, anticipated his disobedience. So on one hand, you have an Isaac who does not value the prophecy of God, who favors his son Esau, who does not favor the birthright of God where you've got a Rebecca who wants to obey the prophecy of God, who favors a son who wants the birthright. But they're both not good because they're getting it in the wrong means. They're not trusting in God. Yes, the father's disobedient, but there's one thing that we should have learned by now is that it doesn't matter what human responsibility is. If God has pronounced something, it will happen. They just need. I mean, the brothers of Joseph are going to thwart the plan of God big time, yet nothing can stop the word of God, and Joseph's dream ends up being fulfilled just as God says. And so we should be thinking that if they're truly obedient, they should say, yeah, dad is disobeying God, but this is what God wants. And it makes the passivity of Isaac even stronger, that if Isaac can be passive and still get the blessings of God, then there's no reason for me to be so deceptive that I am. I can sit back and trust God that I will get the blessing like I'm supposed to. And so though they value the things that Isaac and Esau are not valuing, which is better, they're not trusting God, which means in the end, there's no difference between the two. Because Isaac and Esau are not trusting God, and Rebekah 
and Jacob are not trusting God. And that's really all that it matters. You can desire great things, but if there's no belief or trust or faith, then you're no different than the world. You're no different than the world. And so the point is at one end, the narrator sets you up to think, hey, this is why I want Jacob to be the firstborn, because Esau doesn't value the birthright. But on the other end, you begin to realize neither one of them are trusting God. Neither one of them are worthy of the birthright. Which means when God gives the birthright to Jacob, it's going to reinforce all the more God chooses who he wants to. And that's the point that Paul's going to make in Romans 9, 10, 11, when he makes the point, God chose Jacob over Esau, and we don't know why. And so he chose Israel over the nations, and we don't know why. And so when he rejected Israel and chose the Gentiles over Israel, we don't know why. So don't be surprised, you Gentile church, that he might reject you one day and choose the Jews again. Because God can choose whoever he wants. And this is the dominant theme here. Because when God later comes to Jacob in the desert, he's going to tell Jacob why he chose him. And it's not because I've just been blown away by your character and your righteousness. There is no Jacob believed and God credited him as righteousness. And that's what's going to be missing from the story. So he blesses him. Yes, my son smells like the scent of an open field. This is the new Bath and Body Works smell. <laughs> Which Yahweh has blessed. May God give you the dew of the sky and the richness of the earth, the plenty of the grain and the new wine. May people serve you and the nations bow down to you. You will be Lord over your brothers and the sons of your mother will bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Now notice something. First, except for that last two lines, may those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed, nothing sounds like the Abrahamic covenant. When Isaac blesses him, it does not sound like the Abrahamic covenant at all. He's caught his own blessing. He's blessing him plentiful, the, the, the dew, notice that there's a little bit of an allusion to numerous as the sand and the stars of the sky. So there's that earth and sky kind of a sense. There's the grain and new wine, which is going to be a very dominant theme throughout the Bible, because grain and new wine, along with the olive oil, is the sign of the Messiah in the New Covenant. But that is nowhere in anybody's mind yet. And so he's not thinking there, that's just a normal blessing that you would give to people in an agricultural community. So there's only one line, which then you begin to ask yourself, why has it been that the Abrahamic covenant has been the dominant theme? Every single time that God has come to Abraham, in chapter 15, and in chapter 17, and in chapter 19, and in chapter 22, God keeps repeating the Abrahamic covenant promises. And then he comes to Isaac, and just chapter 26, and gives them the Abrahamic covenant promises. And Isaac got it earlier, too. And you would think after hearing this over and over and over and over and over again, that should just naturally come out of his mouth. Yet it doesn't. He's got his own blessing. And that should immediately make you think, what's going on with Isaac? 
And even when he does give the blessing of the cursing and the blessing, notice that God put the emphasis on, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who disdain you. And the emphasis on the fact that most people are going to bless you, and I will bless most people, and there will be a few that will be cursed. But Isaac switches it around and puts the emphasis on the cursing, and the minor is the blessing. Maybe it's a result of what happened in chapter 26. That maybe Isaac feels like he's being cursed more than he's being blessed. Which is all a matter of perspective, because chapter 26 also made the point that God was blessing him like tremendously, more than Abraham was even blessed. And so this says something to what is going on with Isaac. He's a passive character. He's not trusting God. He's disobeying a direct prophecy of God. He can't even repeat the Abrahamic promises. And he emphasizes the cursing more than the blessing part. And you don't get that sense that he's really thinking Abrahamic covenant when he's blessing Esau, who he thinks is Esau. And so you see a disconnected man. 